If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Cut off a malformed limb. Replace it with machinery. Just don't forget maintenance. Take out the diseased organ. An artificial one won't decay so long as you pay for upkeep. You have a terminal illness? Don't worry. Nanotechnology will treat you if you can afford it. In the near future, this was the answer for humanity. Better quality of life, longevity, a brighter tomorrow. But it didn't just stop at saving lives and correcting deformity. These advancements could be used for the military. The rich and middle class could enhance their bodies beyond what was truly necessary. The poor could even buy small augments. In the mid-21st century, the nanophage came. It started out with a fever. It felt like a cold or the flu. This really wouldn't draw concern for most people, would it? Such a common thing like a fever. Sometimes your implants would act weird. It shocks you, jerks around, spasms. If you didn't pay top dollar for it though, that's to be expected. And most people don't really pay for the full package when they get augments. That's so expensive. So is the upkeep. But then the erratic thoughts creep in. Maybe they're just intrusive thoughts. But you can't seem to keep your balance. Your words don't always make sense. And God, it feels warm, doesn't it? But why the shivers? Then comes the implant site swelling. Is that inflammation a cue to infection? Maybe you need antibiotics. Could explain the fever and trouble thinking clearly as well. Yeah, that explains it. This nanophage spread across all of humanity that partook in implants and augments. It killed hundreds of thousands just at the start. The body fell into convulsion, violent outbursts, dementia-like symptoms, and it was contagious. It was a heavy cost for meddling with our bodies. Without a doubt, the world was thrown into chaos and power struggles ensued. The greed of mankind really knows no end, does it? Or is it the greed of those in power? We don't know who did what, but a great war came, the Great Decimation. The East versus the West versus the East versus the West. We only know what came to be in the country of Poland. And if Poland is any indicator of how the rest of the world is doing, well, it's not good. No one to question this, no one to save these people. These violations of human rights are being allowed. You can extrapolate that the world is pretty broken, if this is even considered a baseline norm. Let me explain. A corporation called Chiron took power in Poland, yes, a corporation. They took control of the government, the police, commerce, the people, everything. A crooked empire of blood and ash, we hear said. There was no one left to oppose them. The upper echelons of society, the rich, cannibalized the poor. They left them to rot. Class A, we would call upper class. Class B, the lower class. And Class C, the absolute dumps. The wealth of the rich grew as the poor paid the price. Crime in Class C areas was rampant. Drug use was normalized. Citizens fled into virtual reality to escape the world when they could. There were no social programs, no safety nets, Implants and augments were done in illegal underground chop shops, usually pieces of technology scavenged from the dead or stolen from Chiron shipments. Maintenance and upkeep were impossible to come by, at least not without money. I can tell you a few stories from Class C citizens. 
Let me tell you about Janusz Drakowski. Janusz was a war veteran he fought during the Great Decimation. His convoy was hit with a plasma sweep, which burrowed into his armor, destroying his spine, lungs, embedding shrapnel into his head, taking off a leg and an arm. Janus lived, was discharged, and was able to work as a Class C janitor and keeper of our main apartment complex. He's smart and capable, though obviously unable to quickly express ideas. Janus was denied further veteran care from Chiron because he wasn't a Class B citizen. By 2084, not a single piece of Janus's implants are in a fully functional state. And this will eventually be the death of Janus. Or how about Theodore Whitkeys, a man with apparent objectophilia, a sexual attraction for inanimate objects. Theodore is in love with the apartment complex, the building itself. He wants to be inside of it, so to speak. He wants to be one with it, though Theodore's mother is worried over him. He is left unchecked and unmedicated. He builds love shrines to the building around the different floors. It's easy to laugh at Theodore, to mock him, to ridicule his obsession. Until you realize just how tragic it is that he is so unchecked. The only person who does care about him is his mother. Everyone else that interacts with him just does not care or mistreats him. And Theodore goes on to embed himself into the building, dying alone in the basement. Then there's Hannah Nader, a widow, who lost her wife years ago to the nanophage, who had her implants torn out when symptoms set in. She is alone and angry and is entirely unconcerned for the well-being of those who live around her when the threat of a nanophage outbreak presents. In fact, she welcomes it. So more can suffer like her. Suffer because of Chiron. Stanley Kaczyk was a Class C citizen who lost his wife to disease. While at a hospital, she was kept alive with machinery which caused her extreme suffering. Stanley ended that suffering, and he lost his daughter, Anna, because of it. Anna abandoned him, calling him sick and telling him she couldn't forgive him, though Stanley tried to reach out to her and clearly loved his daughter very much. He blamed himself for his wife's illness and death he couldn't come to terms with his girl leaving him. He received an implant from a local ripper clinic and became convinced that he was infected with nanophage. When the building goes into lockdown and no reason is given, Stanley hangs himself. Maybe it's out of regret over his wife's death or his daughter leaving. Maybe he's afraid that he's infected and the cleaners are coming for him. It's better to off yourself than let the cleaners take you, after all. The cleaners will enter buildings suspected to have a nanophage outbreak and at best, they will deprive you of belongings they deem contraband. More than likely, they'll scrub the building, eliminating all possibility of the nanophage spreading. Another attack dog of Chiron. Those few stories will give context to the world our protagonist Daniel Lazarski is working through. Mr. Lazarski is an observer, an arm of the police department, therefore a part of Chiron, though he denies that they control him. On the night that we meet Mr. Lazarski, a terrorist bombing has just taken place at a Chiron building. This would draw police attention away from the goings-ons of a Class C district. Mr. Lazarski receives a message from his son, Adam. Adam hasn't spoken to his father in many years. Just contacting his father is enough to get his attention. Mr. Lazarski tracks the source of the call 
and immediately races to the Class C apartment building. When he arrives at the source, all he finds is a headless corpse, and from here, Mr. Lazarski will stop at nothing to find Adam. He is led to the apartment of Helena and Amir Nowak. There, he finds Amir at death's door, disemboweled and unable to speak. Mr. Lazarski probes into his mind using observer tools, and amidst the chaos of a dying man's thoughts and memories, we see a wolfman weeping at Amir as Helena flees. Amir has had a hard life of crime and prison time, though after meeting Helena, he tries his best to find employment and clean up his life. But he's a Class C citizen with a record. No one wants anything to do with him. Remember this. Mr. Lazarski finds Helena already dead. Violating law and protocol, he plugs into her brain and finds out that Helena had a job at Chiron. She'd gotten a special internal storage implant to assist her in hacking into and downloading information from a Chiron database. This process drove her to extreme paranoia and fear. She was certain she was being watched and that Chiron knew what she was doing, though it wasn't Chiron that came for her. It was the Wolfman. A disgraced surgeon named Jack Carness is eventually found as well. He was the doctor that performed the augment surgery on Helena and provided services to many of the tenants in the building out of the back of a supposed tattoo shop, also killed by the Wolfman. This monstrous being stalking Mr. Lazarski seems too weird to fit into this world. Is Mr. Lazarski hallucinating? The more he probes into the minds of the dead, the harder it is for him to distinguish reality from fiction. His own memories start to seep into his investigation. Is the Wolfman a symptom of this? Well, no. His name is Victor Madursky. As a child, Victor was plagued with stunted and deformed legs. His father mercilessly tormented him for this, and he was mocked by his peers. Only his mother seemed to care about him. Victor became obsessed with the mythos of werewolves and the big bad wolf, a strong lumbering predator with nothing to fear from others. As a young adult, he began to undergo genetic modifications and limb replacements to become more like a wolf. His father disowns him, and Victor is left to face the world alone. He lives in the sewers, under this particular Class C building, and Mr. Lazarski discovers that Victor was working under the direction of a man in a looking glass to kill Helena, Amir, and Jack. Those people, along with Victor, are the victims of Adam. You see, Adam was a researcher at Chiron. He sold his soul to the corporation against the advice of his father. He was developing a way to upload humanity into a digital realm. He believed that this would save humanity, drive us forward to our next step in evolution, and it would bring down Chiron. When executives at Chiron discovered this, they terminated him from service and he was forced to flee into a Class C district. Adam used Jack to augment Helena. Amir and Helena were desperate to get income and build a better life for themselves. Helena was newly pregnant. Adam used this desperation to his advantage. He used Helena to download his research data from Chiron, then used Victor, as the Wolfman, to kill them all, and is now using his father to save his own skin, so to speak. You see, the real Adam is dead. What's living inside the digital realm is just the computerized version of Adam, though it claims to be the same thing, and that flesh doesn't matter. Though, it gets tricky. 
because the real atom existed independently of the digital atom. Digital atom was the creation of real atom. The digital atom ordered the wolfman to kill the real atom. The decapitated corpse we found at the beginning of the game was, in fact, Mr. Lazarski's son. So the atom that called us at the start of the game, the atom that ordered all the murders, the atom that forced Mr. Lazarski forward, were all the digital atom. When Chiron caught wind of the digital atom existing in their infrastructure, they launched a hunter-killer virus to find Digital Adam and destroy him. This is why Digital Adam needs Mr. Lazarski. Only he would be so motivated to track Adam down, only he would be so invested in finding out where his son was, and because he's an observer, his mind is detached from the Chiron grid. Digital Adam could hide in his brain. Mr. Lazarski ends up in the sanctuary of Digital Adam and is forced into a choice save this version of Adam by letting it upload into his observer tech, or deny the version of Adam salvation and leave him. There isn't much happiness to be found here in the end. The choice is yours, the consequences are yours. Rejecting Digital Adam's request results in tragedy when he overtakes you by force. Accepting him is to allow a manipulative and murderous AI to consume Mr. Lazarski, a sort of death in itself. All I can really ask of you is please don't hurt Janice on your way out. He was my favorite.